Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I'm H.A. Conrad, here with my wonderful compadre, Ali Matu. Hello. How's it going, Conrad? We also have a guest joining us, um, making his third appearance, tying with Mr. Bill Wadman as the most... Uh, with the most number of guest appearances on Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, speculative fiction writer Derek Bishop, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Reason why we've got Derek on the show once again is we're talking Lost, or I should say Lost. Yes, it's the tenth anniversary of Lost, which I cannot believe, and so we thought it would be fun to revisit a few choice theories and and summaries about the show and talk a bit about the very controversial finale and we've got a crew here that consists of i think the the spectrum of fans of lost um where derek you have said that this is one of your favorite shows i think it's it's my favorite yeah boom it is your favorite show it's a show that i love and have very mixed feelings about and conrad it's a show that you slipped in and out of and we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. But before we do, let's go back to the beginning. Um, the show premiered uh, just about 10 years ago, but the story of the show actually starts before that. And Derek, we were chatting before the show, uh, before this show, about how Lost came to be. What's the origin story of Lost? Well, it started out, um, the chairman of ABC at the time, Lord Lloyd Braun, wanted to do like a survivor type fictional series like the this uh the reality show survivor on cbs right yeah because it was so popular yeah at the time and they wanted to do you know a drama that was along similar lines and that's kind of the concept that he wanted and they were shopping it around for writers and producers to do it and so it had the backing it had the financial backing it had the head guys um, initiative behind it. Which is unusual for a TV show. Right. That, that's well, the hardest thing to get. What's really interesting, I don't know if, well, he, I think it, this is it's definitely, this was, I was older than you guys, but there was this Disney You still show. are older than us. I still of. am sometimes. <laughs> um, there was a Disney sort of like feature, you know how they used to do the, the Wonderful World of Disney movies? Yeah, yeah. There was one in 1990 called Exile, and it was about these teenagers that got stranded on this island. And I really feel like somebody must have seen this or, you know, it was sort of like a it was like sort of like a mix between that Gilligan's Island and a few other things. And I'm like, let's bring it back. Yeah. So it had backing, but it's not like it was an original idea at that point anyway. Um, it, was, it was a blend of different ideas. Right. And I think that the whole idea of being stranded on an island was hot. Castaway so, cast yeah. was, was definitely still in people's minds. And ABC so. had contractual rights um, f- to continue a partnership with J.J. Abrams, who was doing uh, Alias at the time. Right, yeah, and they he didn't really want to do it because <clears throat> it was kind of uh, this executive's crazy, harebrained pet project. <laughs> and people were kind of like, Survivor, the TV show, that's, that's stupid. <laughs> and so no one wanted to do it, and they... Uh, settled Abrams with it, you know, like it's your under your contract. You have to do the pilot at least, and then they uh, they also stuck Damon Lindelof with it. Well, and Damon Lindelof's story here is really interesting too. We were talking. We'll put the link in the show notes, but he was, he shared his story about how he was basically a fanboy on the internet on message boards talking about Joss Whedon stuff and J.J. Abrams stuff, and how he had a friend who was an executive at ABC, and he kept begging this friend, please get me in a room with J.J. Abrams. Just get me in the room. 
So she said, here's the good news. I got you a meeting with J.J. Abrams. Bad news. It's this project that no one wants to do, including J.J. Abrams, about this TV show called Lost. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so he was just trying to get a job on Alias. And he's like, um, I have to impress J.J. Abrams so he came up with some ideas. And they started talking about it. And they've been given this kind of blank check of a TV show where it's like a concept, but they don't, there's no guidelines. There's no ideas beyond that. And the guys they give it to are, <laughs> I mean, J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof. It's like, it's like we're going to go crazy. And, we're gonna, and no one really cares. The show's going to get canceled. It's probably not even get made after the pilot. So let's just put as much insane and it's like, let's, random things in it's the It's like, pilot. let's give these guys a, a way to do Lord of the Flies, but don't go totally insane. Like, yeah. Lord of the Flies... Yeah. In the best case scenario. Do you know what I mean? Let's so, make this hatch and this dude has to enter these numbers into the hatch and there's like electromagnetic stuff going on and this plane crashes and there's these other people. They they started saying all these things that really became main elements of the storyline, just not not as not thinking that this is gonna get picked up. No, I mean, they were just throwing ideas out. And they're yeah. like, This would be cool, this would be interesting. Very rapidly it developed from there, became a script was greenlit, and uh, ends up becoming the most expensive TV pilot ever made up to that point. Yeah, was it was it the most? It's th- I it know was, it was thirteen the million. Yeah, yeah. And, but at that point, it was, and it showed. Oh my gosh, the pilot it was felt brilliant. like it felt like a film. It yeah. felt like a feature oh, film. Yeah. So let so let's get into that. How did you all get exposed to Lost, the TV show? Um, I honestly, I saw an ad for it, and I said, "Oh, that looks kind of interesting." Um, and they did, they had some, a pretty slick ad campaign going on where they would just show, um, from the pilot, they just showed a couple of like clips on the beach. And then suddenly with the, you saw the, um, the jet engine Mm. and then it was a very mysterious sort of lead in. I said, Oh, I should check that out. And so I was in it from the beginning. Really? From season Uh, one? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I was like totally taken in. I was just totally involved, fully involved in the mystery. I came on during the uh, second season, actually, and uh, it was kind of my first. It was one of those first Netflix experiences because I just oh, so had, you binge watched it? Yeah, yeah, we got wait, the first. Wait. Well, we got the first season on on DVD. It was when I was living in Baltimore with, with my good friends uh, Hillary, and uh, we both were had like a Netflix account, and it was kind of our. It was when I think uh, for they me didn't it, was, have it was my back first then. experience. They didn't yeah. have streaming, yeah, and so it was my first experience, kind of with the Netflix concept. And we got the first season on DVD, and that's how I watched it. Yeah. And <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and it so- is such an easy. Se- it's such an easy show to binge watch, though. Yeah. And in some oh, yeah. ways, it's more satisfying to watch it that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yes. Because of the mysteries in it. Yeah. Especially season one, binge watching that. I mean that that is, I think, probably their best season. Um, and it, it is such an interesting arc that, that unfolds with that season. I could, I could see you binge watching that very easily. And that, that's kind of what I did too. I got into it when season three was airing. So, um, season, season one came out and actually my, my good friend, uh, Jamie, he had an internship at ABC at that time. And he said he was working, um, on the, on the promotions for Lost season one. Desperate Housewives season one, Boston Legal season one. And we were hanging out in L.A. when I was an undergrad over there. And he said, oh, there's these shows coming out. I think you're going to be really interested in this one called Lost. And he started to describe it. And he's, I was like, who's in that show? And he's like, well, they're a bunch of new actors. I'm like, that show sounds really stupid. I don't 
I don't yeah, think so, Yeah, but it's also Jamie. the dude from Party of Five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and oh, that right. guy from Lord of the Rings. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He yeah, was yeah. probably the yeah. most one on face, I think. He said, uh, or I told my friend, I'm like, okay, I don't really care about the show called Lost. Tell me more about William Shatner and Boston Legal. I'm more excited about that. So, um, I, I didn't watch it for the first two seasons, and people kept telling me how great it is. And then um, someone forced me to sit down and watch the pilot, and I was hooked. And so I binge-watched the first two seasons in DVD form as well when season three was airing. And then I was watching season three on as the TV show aired. There was such a difference between uh, the first season where I could just binge-watch it until the next Netflix disc arrived, as opposed to the second season where I was watching it week to week, and I was like, ah, it's impossible! But see, because I had watched the first season week to week... And I had managed to, like, miss one or two episodes, and it wasn't a time when DVRing was so easy to do, and they didn't have the online content like we do now. I remember actually going out and buying the DVDs for season one to rewatch to make sure I was up to speed with season two. And then I was almost like, you know what? This was so satisfying. I think I'm going to wait till the end of season two to watch it the same way. <laughs> and then that's what I did. Yeah. Um, because I was just like, this is just a better way to watch Lost. Yeah. And- well, so we aren't the only ones who are binge watching this. <laughs> it, this this was a critical hit. Um, it won uh, Best Drama um, at the Emmys. Uh, it was a ratings hit. What is it about Lost that really caught on? What, what makes this show so unique? Um, I think that the stories between the characters are very unique. Um, they're, I think humans like a good mystery and especially in season one that was just you definitely want to know what happened next and i think that that's probably the case for the whole series is that you kept trying to figure out what the mystery was and how it was going to unravel and how they would resolve things um i i do think that um the premise of the show the idea of being in a plane crash and showing how they're going to survive on the island that's why I mean, Lord of the Flies and, and uh, Castaway and all this other stuff. Um, that's why Survivor as a show is probably so popular is that there's this, first of all, there's a huge fear of that happening. But mm-hmm. then there's also a sort of this weird thing like, well, what would you do? How would you survive? And there, Which I kind of taps into the zombie genre a little bit. A little bit, bit a little bit. That definitely, whole survivor That element. whole survivor element. And... Um, and I think that they kept the interest peaked enough that there was enough, and there was a bit of a magical fantasy element on the island, not knowing exactly what was going on. Um, and then when they started to, like, first you think it's just a survivor tale, and then when they start to introduce, like, other people on the mm-hmm. island, that was just like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, it was a really exciting thing to have happen. And it really, I mean, almost every episode was a cliffhanger. The end of every episode was like, I need to see the next one, which is why I think the binge watching experience is so, so bingy. It was a highly serialized show. It was one of the first major serialized shows on network TV. Network TV was much more conservative with with that kind of stuff. And I think one of the things that made it so successful is how it was able to blend genres together. Mm -hmm. You know, the drama, the mystery, sci-fi, suspense, fantasy, horror, all of those elements were, were beautifully blended together, and that drew people in. I mean, I was coming in for the science fiction aspect of, like, what is going on here and creating the theories in my mind to explain it. I had friends that were watching it just for the drama. I had other friends that were watching it um, and didn't really think it was sci-fi that they were watching. Mm. It had a really nice ability to 
do a lot of a lot of fantastical nerdy stuff that both Lindelof and J.J. Abrams are now known for, but doing it in a way in which it's easy to consume for masses. Right. And also, I mean, I also think that the cast was incredible. It was a lot of people, a lot of people to get to know. It's also one of the most diverse casts it's that I think incredibly diverse that, that you had seen up to that point. Um, the production value was extraordinarily high. Oh, my gosh. And it looked like a movie. I mean, everything looked like a movie. The pilot was incredible. I still, I mean, I think it's tough to outdo that pilot, honestly. Um, the soundtrack? Just was... the soundtrack. That's what I was, I was going to say. Two words, very Michael Jaws. Giacchino. Yeah, very yeah. Jaws, right? Michael like that whole, Giacchino. The string notes. I, I own every soundtrack for every season. Um, the score to this show still gets me so emotional. You know, yeah. and it's such a minimalist score at some points, and at other points, it's Michael Giacchino brings in the plane, the wing of a plane, and is playing an instrument on it. Oh wow! It's I mean, it's really fantastic. What the production value of this show? Right. It amazing. It felt more cinematic. This music Absolutely. felt more cinematic to me than most TV shows of the time, or even now. Uh, the thing that uh, drew me in right away, I think, was the mix of genres, as you're saying, and I. But not just. I'm usually very against kind of science fiction and fantasy being blended. I like my fantasy as fantasy, like my sci-fi is sci-fi and very separate. Yeah. But the thing about this show was it almost, it wasn't like they were mixed. It was like elements of it were the same. They were both science fiction and fantasy. They were both, they were horror. They were drama at the same time. It wasn't as though these were disparate uh, components that were being pieced together. It was like they were all these things at the same time. And I've rarely seen this kind of cross-genre blending done so, so well and so seamlessly. And I think to me, it's like the kind of mysteriousness of the tone of the show. Uh, It's intriguing. It draws you in. It kind of has that feel of kind of wonder, of childlike wonder that Mm. I love about what's why I love fantasy in the first place. Mm -hmm. And as we'll get into later, I think some people, they read this as like mysteries they want to solve. And I think this is maybe uh, one of the reasons you get the divide between people that loved it and hated it is there are people that wanted the mysteries to be solved, and there are people that just enjoyed the mysteriousness of the of the tone of the series. Well, and the, the um, mysteriousness. I also, I also think we have to bring up the fact that you know the, the shows the show owes a lot to Fantasy Island too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you think I'm joking? But kind of not. No, uh, you're right. A, a little right. bit. There are there is definitely elements that are heavily borrowed from that idea. Well, and, and so this speaks to exactly what Derek was saying. Fantasy Island, absolutely, there's elements of it right there. There's also elements to lots of dystopian science fiction stories, and we would get into the Dharma Initiative and everything going around there. I think another thing I mean, from the show, all of that was set up right in that pilot, where the smoke monster is introduced... The um, there's this idea that there's more going on into the island than meets the eye, and I think the last piece here, why the show is so compelling, um, Conrad, you were talking about the characters. It's also uh, um, you're talking about the cast, but it's also the characters here. Oh yeah, definitely. Y- you know, you you see you see certain characters, and then um, as that pilot is revealed, you find out oh. Apparently, this person was in handcuffs. Oh, apparently, this person is addicted to drugs. And And this person is related to this person. (laughs) Exactly, right? And all of that was set up right in the pilot. So those big mysteries, those big things that you're talking about, Derek, right there from the beginning, um, 
I think a lot of people watched Lost and said, wow, I haven't seen anything like this before. Not on television. Not on television. This was an epic. Um, And then I think that also paved the way for some other pretty epic television series. When there's been a... Or simultaneously to some extent. And some of that we're going to talk in our crossover when we talk about Battlestar Galactica here. And I guess at this point we should say we are really spoiling... We're gonna. Sp- I, I did that again. We did it in the last episode. We're spoilering um, all of Lost. So okay. if you haven't seen it, um, massive spoiler alert. Yeah, don't listen to this. Go and watch it. Yeah, go and watch all six seasons. Go back and it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Binge watch it. But um, so the show it started off with a bank, right? And I mean, part of the experience was like it was more interactive to me than most shows. And that was my one of my favorite parts um, of watching it was as soon as the episode was done, it was like, I've got to get on my computer. I've got to go on the message boards. Yeah, and yeah, see, yeah. You've got to see what, all these, yeah. what everyone's saying. Like, and they were, you know, they were the guys that took the shots, uh, the most revelatory shots of the episode, and they would frame by frame and yeah. analyze them. <laughs> you know, or they'd take the whispers and they'd play them backwards, forwards, different speeds. It was like the level of analysis that went into um, this led to a lot of insane theories. Well, it's also a show that um, capitalized on that, where they did hide a lot of stuff in. There were a lot of Easter eggs. And there was also uh, the Lost Experience. There was a group of websites that were created that were sort of um, um, like some of those fake real websites. And we've seen this with other TV shows and movies. But um, what were these things all about? Well, it was kind of like a game that you could play. And I th- if I'm, I didn't actually get involved in it myself, but I've read about it. And if I am, am remembering correctly, it's uh, it started with some ads that played that were like Hanzo Foundation ads on on during the show during the ad breaks on the show, and they gave like a website. And so if you're watching the show, you'd be like, "What?" Han-? And you recognized mm. Hanzo Foundation from the show. This is like after the second season, yeah, I think, uh, and. So you would go on the website, and that's kind of what started the game. Like, you'd explore the website, and it would lead you to these other websites um, that were, like, you know, fake, real websites. And you kind of hunted down all these clues on the Internet, um, on these various websites. And it kind of told the story about the Dharma Initiative, the Hanzo Foundation. And it kind of explained the numbers and went into the whole idea that they were part of a doomsday Conrad, how much you want to bet... Derek has those numbers memorized. Oh, I know he does. Oh, know yeah. he what does. are those numbers, Derek? 4, 8, 15, 16, uh, 23, 42. You, my friend, are a super losty geek That's nerd. not. Those are, I mean, lots of people know those. <laughs> well, but, but I think what, what's, what we're talking about here is this interplay between the show creating a high level of fandom based on how good it was, based on how nerdy it was by sneaking in a lot of stuff here, and um, so this fandom sort of naturally developed, and then the show also playing to that, creating these experiences, creating these larger mysteries, and we're going to get into the mystery box in our crossover, but J.J. Abrams loves to create mysteries, and his role here was really only in the creation of the show, and he directed the, the pilot episode, and after that he sort of faded off. He went to go um, to Mission Possible. He went to, yeah, and <laughs> followed by uh, producing Ghost Protocol and doing Star Trek and now Star Wars. Oh my gosh. Who knew back then that this guy would be in charge of so much? But um, the fandom 
was intense. And I think this speaks to some of the controversies about the show, especially with how the show ended. Well, I think um, the the people that were dissatisfied with the show, which uh, depends on who you ask, was varying degrees. I think it was probably about half and half, but a lot of people say it was like most fans. Um, I think it's more a case of the ones that disliked it or the more vocal ones. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Uh, they, I, in my opinion, I think they probably fall into two different groups. There were the people that the show is too complicated for. I didn't appeal to them because of that. And there were pe- the people that it was not complicated enough for. Um, and both of these are kind of problems, I think, of watching it not in, binge, in like the binge-watching format. Or like in a format that you can regulate the rate at which you watch episodes. But it was, you know, between we had like a week between episodes all this complex narratives that were nonlinear and they're going back and forth in time and starting at different points in time for different characters. It was hard to keep track of all these different things and all these sub subplots and all these side characters. And so a lot of people lost interest and I think stopped watching. And then some came back at the end to see the finale. Cause they're like, Oh, I want to see How it ends. what the answer is. And then, yeah. of course they hadn't been watching the last season. So they didn't, they weren't aware of the side flashes and they thought, that uh, the ending where they're they're in purgatory was actually talking about the whole series, the and whole not just experience. the side flashes, and so that's where that so kind of mis misconception uh, came from. Derek, you were watching it throughout. I was watching it throughout. Conrad, that wasn't your experience. Well, I I admit, after season three, I dropped out of it, and um, I just found it very frustrating to watch. I, I didn't have that same feeling that I had in the first season, and. I kind of felt like there were a lot of mysteries that, that were being thrown in there that were just there for the sake of it. And in some ways, I think, and this is not, a, I mean, I think that the creators of the show and the writers of the show had to do what they had to do. It felt like there was a lot of filler to me. I think in some ways, sometimes the format for cable shows or for the Netflix shows that have been contracted when it's fewer episodes turn out better because they have to be just more, um, they have to kill their darling, so to speak, and make it just much more smooth and, and clean. And I feel like there was a lot of filler in some of these seasons. I mean, you have episodes, some of like 23 seasons, instead of trying to tell the story in a, in a shorter amount. In some ways, that will work in your favor, but in the case of Lost, I just got a little bit fatigued. As it, um, yeah. So as it got to the end of the series, I then went back, and I did watch the se- the seasons, and I binge-watched them. Um, That's a lot of binge watching. It is, and I again, well, the, I mean, it felt. And, and I'm not going to lie, Derek, and I and I and I know this will upset you. It felt like work to me. It didn't feel as I didn't have the same feeling um, that I had about the show as I did in the beginning. Although I will say, like the finale didn't bother me as I think it bothered some people. Um, I still got the um, some of the emotional impact, um, which I wasn't expecting actually to get after feeling somewhat fatigued. There were some definite bright moments that I had missed, and I was very glad that I saw those episodes, but I just, um, and it was probably because I had been away from it that I was just not quite as... Well, there's a lot of people who I think had your experience, Conrad, and if if we look at... And by by the way, I'm a... Like, it takes an awful lot for me (laughs) to, like, stop watching a show that I'm dedicated to. Um, So, you know... Do you think... Oh, sorry. Well, one of the things I was going to say is what happened around that era or era, what happened around that time is something that happened to a lot of people. Um, and one of the reasons why I think people dropped out is there was a 
huge lag between season three and season four. Season three premiered October 4th, 2006. Season four premiered January 31st, 2008. That's a huge lag. We had the writer's strike in between. Um, I think there was a lot... It, for a show like this that you were talking about, Derek, where you need to be so invested and it's it's complicated, it's non-linear. We have flashbacks and flash forwards, and then later flash sideways or side flashes, as as I think yeah. you said. Um, it, it's you need having that huge of a lag really hurts the show. Yeah, definitely. And Lindelof also said um, in the first three seasons they didn't know how much how many seasons they were going to have. They didn't well, know the how- first two, and I think halfway through is when they. Yeah, somewhere around season three, they said, okay, we're going to give you six seasons. Here's how many episodes. And Conrad, I think you're right. One of the other things here, and we'll get into this crossover with Battlestar versus versus Lost, um, creating network TV and the number of episodes you're expected to create, sometimes there are there's more dead weight when you're creating a 23-episode season versus a 14, 17, 18-episode season. So I think a lot of people had the experience you had. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, definitely. And it's interesting, you, uh, so you started out watching weekly, but you did have uh, sort of binge-watching experiences with the series, right, Conrad? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, um, and, and that's kind of how I just, I made a conscious choice to consume it that way. Do you think if you had been able to watch all the way through um, from from the beginning, if it was just binge-watching, well, not, I mean, not like, I'm using binge usually. I don't mean like constantly, but you know, just like at, at your at your rate that you could afford to watch. Um, do you think it would have been more entertaining? Um, I felt like, in some ways, some of the things I liked about Lost um, became um, became negatives at some point. Um, I feel like there were too many characters in some parts of the series that you didn't really care about. And there were certain characters I definitely did care about. And when they didn't have the screen time, I got very bored. Um, And I didn't really care about some of the stories of some of these other characters. Um, So so to keep my interest, I mean, when I was binge watching, I was like, okay. And there were certain characters that I really wanted to fast forward through. So, yeah. so is, yeah, that, is that a fair... Is a Boone and Sharon. <laughs> well, well, those are two in the early part, most definitely. Shannon! Well, and then there were characters. And, and, and it's like, and you know, like, just a quick aside. You have a, a character that's so great, like Saeed, and you pair him with Shannon? Like, give me a break. Yeah, Sorry. plus you're supposed to be in love with Nadia, right? Well, and also, like, <laughs> Nadia seems like pretty, pretty awesome. And then you give him Shannon, and that's yeah. the love of his I life. I kind of like the two of them. I gotta say, there's something, there's something interesting about just how different they were and, and them coming together. I like that pairing. But I think what you know, it's it's really interesting because um, the same psychology of fan outrage that we've seen with Ben Affleck becoming Batman. Or we've seen with the reboot of the DC franchise. I think we saw some of that same type of outrage here with the finale. And EV Club had a very... Uh, I'm quoting EV Club with their... Um, going into the sixth season, they said, I'm guessing that one of the biggest fears of Lost fans as we ride out the sixth and final season, bumps and all, is that we're going to come to an end and find a big nothing in return for all we've invested.
invested in these characters. We don't just need answers. We need justifications. Why has this happened? Um, who has called this particular meeting to order? And how does it all really matter um, who showed up? So people had invested a lot. And I think, Derek, you're right. They wanted to know the resolution of these mysteries. A lot of fans, as we got to the end, felt like they didn't get that. Well, and I, and as I said... Or they didn't I've, like the resolutions. The or they didn't like the resolution. Uh, like, Absolutely. I really felt like... And, and again, this is another piece of why I kind of dropped off for a while. I felt like they had... And you know what? To be quite honest, I felt a little bit like this watching Fringe as well. But I felt like they were unveiling almost too many mysteries. Too many mysteries to keep track of. Too many mysteries that you were like... I think that the sign of a, of a well-crafted show, um, and this was a well-crafted show in indefinite parts of it. It was amazing. The sign of a well-crafted show is when you can also recognize and tie those things together. That's part of the satisfaction of watching a show like this. I don't need them to treat me or treat the audience like they're dumb. I like that they treat the audience like they're smart. Yeah. I like that they treat the audience like they don't need to have complete resolution for everything because I think that that's somewhat annoying too. It's like, okay... We're going to tie every single thing up for you in a neat little bow. That doesn't always work. Um, and I think shows that do try to do that a little bit too completely aren't, are kind of, they're too saccharine. They're, they're very boring. And I like the fact that J.J. Abrams keeps um, a sense of mystery. And, and Linda Hall is obvious. Lindelof. Lindelof, sorry. <laughs> well, and, well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm more of a George R. R. Martin fan, but anyway. Um, oh snap! Feud, feud. Anyway, um, I mean, he, I, yeah. but in any case, I agree, and I've heard him talk about it, and I definitely am. I am not somebody that felt outraged by the ending, Something... and I feel, and I feel like as a person that from the beginning, I mean, honestly, the first episode I saw, I was like, they're in purgatory. And Something, that's what a lot of people were thinking, and I know that that's maybe what caused some of the outrage. But like, I, I think that basically they just got a little too diffuse in sort of their storytelling. Something Lindelof said, um, and, and there's a great video interview with this. We'll put it in the show notes. Is they didn't want to do what the architect did to the Matrix storyline, where the the scene in the set, second Matrix movie where the architect basically having this exposition blast explaining everything that's happened in the Matrix is horrible. It's not memorable. They wanted to do something that was very different, and they wanted to have a spiritual finale is what they said. Um, Derek, you, you've gone on record many times um, between Sometimes the three of us. Sometimes in this very place. <laughs> in this very room uh, about how much um, you loved the finale. Um, and, you know, we can talk about what the finale actually means and what it doesn't mean, but w- what was it about the finale that you loved? Well, I mean, I I don't think the finale was. I mean, I think there's other actually season finales I like better. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I like the whole the show as a whole and the finale, the ending. To me, I got a sense of resolution. I liked how they tied things up because one of the thing the thing that appealed to me the most about the show was the faith versus reason. Yeah. Uh, relationship, which was is oftentimes a conflict but it's sometimes a negotiation as well. And this is the, what the heart of the show is about. Is, is you can see uh, Lindelof is kind of exploring this because he had a same kind of conflicted relationship where his father was very, like, atheist, rationalist, and, like, mocked him and his mother for their faith. And his father uh, left them, similar to how he felt like Jack Jack's father leaves him emotionally. And you can see he's working out this conflict throughout the show, and this greatly appeals to me because it's been a conflict 
or relationship has been central to my own life because mm-hmm. I went from being a very religious person to now like a very atheist or even like um, antagonistly atheist person. And now I've come back around. I think I'm an atheist that really appreciates and can uh, uh, enjoy like religion and what it does for people and how amazing it can it be. It spoke to you. This, it did. And it's yeah. actually the religious characters or the faith characters. It's not, they often shy away from like institutionalized religion they show it's more kind of an ambiguous type of spirituality they're very, they're very spiritual but they really, they're, they really appeal to me yeah. they're more agnostic I would say than anything and, and sometimes they're a little bit more earth mother sometimes like Locke <laughs> I mean well, well no not Locke he does refer to the I'm island not, as he, um, he refers to the island as the a, island speaks to him yeah um but I also think that they blend a lot of different things here. I mean, they, they name characters after philosophers. They yeah. give you hints with Easter eggs with all sorts of different things. And they explore a lot of different themes. Like you have a character named Christian Shepherd. I know. Well, that's a little <laughs> over your head. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. A little hitting you over the head with it. But Who kind of plays the architect role in the... In the finale, finale. Yeah, a, little, little despite, a little bit. Yeah, apparently, they needed though because people still didn't understand. Some people still well, okay. So, okay, I want, what right. I want to say about that is, I watched the finale and um, was not happy about it. Was very confused, all that stuff, um, and I kind of wrote off Lost in my mind for a long time in preparation for this episode that we're recording. You rewatched it. I rewatched you about differently, didn't you? I rewatched it about like. Twelve episodes of Lost, the pilot, the finale, and some of my favorites in between. I gotta tell you guys, I liked it a lot better this time, and I think it was actually true to the spirit of the show. Now I know that negative memories wear away faster than positive ones, and some of the nostalgia stuff is probably playing a role in all of that. But um, once the anger of not getting every answer wore off. And look, I guess it took like a bunch of years for that to happen. It's 2014 now. <laughs> it aired in 2010. I could appreciate it, and I could see those themes. And um, I wasn't as confused by it. Yeah, I recommend to any fan that felt disappointed or felt like they wasted six years of life. I mean, to go back and rewatch it now when you can watch it at your at your leisure. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's a much more, it's a much different experience. And, you don't have this time, this great time in between episodes where you, the desire to know what happens leads to this theorizing. And I think a lot of people, the people that it was not complicated enough for, they came up with all these grandiose ideas and theories of things they wanted to happen. And the ending was much simpler than that. And they were kind of disappointed. I think some people, um, George R. R. Martin among them, kind of built up this amazing ending in their, in their mind. Of like, oh, this is gonna blow me away. It's, gonna be great. <laughs> it's like a, an ending that wasn't even possible, no matter how they ended it. Yeah, and so they were inevitably going to be disappointed, no matter how how the ending went. I think watching it a second time, you get past all these problems. You kind of know, you know how it's gonna happen. You may not remember exactly, but uh, you the things that disappoint you, you can accept them and kind of look at them from a new light. You can enjoy the things that appeal to you about the show. So I definitely recommend. Anyone that didn't like it, we watch again. But I, you know, I may again maybe because I had been away and I didn't have that sort of build up, and I tend to try to take to not go near hype when it comes to certain things. And there was a lot of hype. There was a lot There's of hype, lot of um, and I think that that may have fueled some of the fan anger as well. Um, and I think that some of that hype came from ABC. There was the final season. Right. Answers will be revealed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that. And it, what's inter- I think what's actually a testament to how wonderful the show is, um, 
this led to a lot of emotions. People are still emotional about loss. You cannot get emotional about something unless you care about it to some degree. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if if you're watching some show, like Boston Legal, we mentioned that a little bit earlier, and Desperate Housewives, that came and went. Do people get emotional about that? I don't think people get emotional about it as much as they do with Lost. One of the persons who got really emotional about it was Lindelof, and he went on this journey sort of trying to explain Lost and saying, no, look, everything happened. They weren't in purgatory, okay? Flash sideways, though that was this kind of period of some afterlife and whatever view you have of it, but everything on the island happened. This is all real, Dharma initiative, blah, blah, blah. And then, after the Breaking Bad finale, he wrote in The Hollywood Reporter. Did you guys see this this letter he wrote? It's really interesting. He said, I agreed to write this piece because I am deeply and unhealthily obsessed with finding ways to revisit the lost finale and the maddening hurricane of blank that has followed it. And this morning, I am Walter White, arrogant, conceited, selfish, entitled, looking for ways to blame everything and everyone but myself, even though it is perfectly clear the situation I find myself in is of my own making. And here's the worst part. I am still naive enough to believe I can attain some level of redemption. It's had a powerful effect on him. Yeah, and, the and I have to say, I also think, you know what, uh, like, I saw all the fallout after the finale, and I actually felt very badly for him. I because did. I, I think... He feeding the trolls a little bit. I he think. was feeding the trolls. Maybe it's just getting... One to, of them being George R. R. Martin. One of them being George R. R. Martin. <laughs> the two of them who had a bit of a feud. They, yeah. they had a bit of a feud. Um, George R. R. On, on his book tour basically was very upset about the Lost Finale and, and basically talked about it in many, many interviews. And said, I'll ne- I endeavor never to create a finale like Lost yeah, or something. Yeah, and, and it was... And, and Pull a Lost. Pull a Lost. Coining a phrase. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and then... Uh, there well, was well because George R R was not on Twitter at that point, but there was some interesting Twitter. Yeah, I th- he responded back very viciously and very immature. Yeah, <laughs> Lindelof. Yeah. He didn't. He say like he got very personal and, yeah. and nasty, and he was like, "Well, you would have been waiting five years for yeah. it then." Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like it, you need some really like to nasty. me that was I was a little traumatizing because it was like the creator of my favorite TV show and the writer of my favorite book series. Like don't fight children, don't fight. Like, it's kind of like I was. I went. It was like I was the kid going and hiding <laughs> yeah, my room, yeah. being like, "Mommy and Daddy, you're <laughs> please make it stop." Yeah, um, uh, but I. But yeah, I think, you're saying you I, felt bad for him. I felt bad for him because when I was seeing his reactions, I agree with you, Derek. I think he was feeding the trolls like so much fodder. He should have just kept his mouth shut and let it stand. Um, but I also think that he was just so invested in the show and i think for a creative project that had that many ends to tie up some of them were not all of his own making um i just think he i think he did a a good job in trying to to wrap it up in the way that he saw fit and you know what and i think that this is something we talked about when we talked about our on our game of thrones episode ollie yeah um similar stuff George R. R. Martin has come under a ton of fire for for leaving canon of the books with the show, and really, there's no possible way to do his show just just totally dedicated. Like if you if you had to follow the exact book, the show would be going on for like twenty the, years. There's no thing. there's no way to do it. You just have way too many characters, and 
Um, there's too many storylines and you just have to make it a little bit more accessible to people. And, and even the way it is, some people find it harder to follow. Look, this is the things we nerds do. This is our, what our show is about. It's about geeking out on this stuff. Um, And we get really, we get really passionate about the things we love. We get passionate, but I guess my, my biggest issue, and I have said this before, is that, look, I am so appreciative of the fact that we have people out there um, creating things and doing these things and taking these risks and putting this um, this amazing content out for us to follow. And so maybe I don't always agree with the execution, but I also feel like people need to be a little bit more mature in how they dissect it. Absolutely. And, and you know what? You need to be appreciative of the fact that these people put themselves on the line. This is a part of them they're putting out there. And yeah, you can say anything you want about the networks, but the, just in the way he's reacting... This is very personal for him. And you yeah. have to imagine that this must have had repercussions on him. He's still thinking about it. He's still thinking like about it. Like years later. And, and, well, this is the thing. Know, George just, Lucas mm, will always get questions about Star Wars. Up until his death, Gene Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry got questions all the time about Star Trek. Lindelof will always get questions about Lost. And then once those questions about Lost are done, then he'll get questions about Prometheus. I wasn't going to bring that up. I was going to let him off the hook. But... Well, here's what I will say about Lindelof. Boy, what a fantastic show he created that like yes, we are still talking are... about it. Derek, how many times do you run? Do you and I run into each other, and we just end up talking about Lost? Like a this lot. happens a lot. Now, here's the thing: I want to know is so what was the story about? Help me understand the island, the Dharma Initiative, all the, the flash. Every everyone, everything's being flashed. Like, please help me understand this, Derek. Um, well, the island is one of possibly one of several like centers of energy. In scientific terms, like electromagnetic type of energy, it's also there's like a spiritual component as well. Uh, we see another one in that episode where Rose goes to this faith healer in Australia. But anyway, um, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, ancient peoples uh, or people throughout the throughout history in the ancient times uh, during Richard's time uh, in the 60s, the Dharma Initiative came looking for it to help solve the ills of the human race. Have sought it out sometimes. For good purposes, sometimes for nefarious purposes, and there's always need like to be a guardian. And I think the show is ultimately about um, there's this guardian of this place that kind of the human race depends on it, and uh, it, he brings these people to him to re- replace him, and you're not sure which ones. And it's all about their journey because they're all broken like him, and he chooses all these people that are broken in some way like he was. They're all lost in their They're life. All lost. That's exactly. the whole yes. conceit of the uh, title. And so it's about them reaching, like repairing themselves, forgiving themselves, whatever they need to do uh, until they can uh, heal. And then that, that's, that's the point where they, the new guardian is chosen. And then Wonder Woman comes out. <laughs> well, I admit I was secretly hoping at some point during loss that it would turn out to be <laughs> the home of Wonder Woman and she would show up and that would be how they introduced the new Wonder Woman feature film that would be awesome um, so it's 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 about a lot of things but like as I was listening to your description of that which I think is a is a is a good one that's that, the most succinct yes. description I think I've ever heard <laughs> yes. so thank you Derek and we we read through a lot of fan theories and we'll put them in their show notes and you guys can check them out about how this island was formed when 
you know, out of the the destruction of uh, what became the moon and blah blah blah. There was an alien spaceship. Yeah, <laughs> there's all that stuff. I think what you like as I was listening to that, I was thinking, well, okay, yeah, but none of that matters. The show's really about these characters, right? Yeah, it's about the people. And, and it's about the people and. What that finale meant is um, one of the things that J- uh, Jack's dad says is you created this place. Um, this is a place you all made together so you could find one another. Speaking of the purgatory, speaking the afterlife, of speaking not, of that afterlife, not the real thing. island. No, no, not the real <laughs> island. But but <laughs> they sure they all um, and part of the confusion with that was abc's decision after the finale ends during the credits to show all the wreckage and no one's there and it made it seem which as they if, didn't know the writers no, didn't know writers about didn't know about so it made everyone think that this was all a purgatory blah 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 but it wasn't everything was real everything's real people real 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 well everything on the island was real. everything on the island was real it's the only part that was not real was a flash sideways which was this after death Thing, where everyone, when they die, they r- arrive at it. No matter when you die, that's when they're arriving at it. Right, Derek? That's Right, what... yeah. So it, the show is really about these characters. It's about these people we care about. I think we all, just the fact that we're talking about it means this show is was something special. And it will always be something special. Well, and you know, I think it's also there is a dearth of shows that are spiritual. In, yeah. in you know, and even talking about spiritual and uh, logical battles, like a man of science and a, and a man of God and yeah. a man of faith. I mean, that whole battle, to put that on a television series on a major network, we hadn't really seen that much of that kind of a... The, like, it's just a very... It was a very different content for that time. And so. I'm all in favor of shows that make people think and make people form their own explanations and theories. Everyone had a theory about Lost... And I'm all for shows naming their characters John Locke, so people go researching who is John Locke right. and then discovering the philosophy right Well, there. actually, one of the other things I really loved was when Sawyer would read the books on the beach. He'd read oh, like, yeah. a different book all the time, and they'd have that as like the lost reading list and all that. We're I thought all... that that was totally awesome. And the references, you know, uh, the, Chewy, what he was calling. The, uh, the book that was the, the writer died on the plane in his manuscript, they actually published that book. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Bad Twin, uh, which you can read and has all these clues and references throughout it. Cool. Here's the thing, you guys. There is one other show that was about spirituality and logic, and it was serialized, and it was amazing. Yes. Yes, it was. Are you guys ready to talk about this show? Yes, we are. Sure. Let's enter Welcome. the Infinite Crossover Chamber. Previously on Lost and Battlestar Galactica. Nice. Yeah. So, in the crossover... I'm not going to do the... Um... The smoke monster noise. What's the smoke monster noise? It's like <laughs> it's like a cross between like a cicada and ge- mechanical gears and like an elephant <laughs> trumpet. How is it to do that, Derek? That is so complicated. <laughs> um, I would love to do that, um, and that I would love to see the smoke monster sort of like face off against uh, number six or something. That'd be pretty cool. But um, in the crossover today, Conrad. What magnificent TV shows are we crossing over? We are pitting Lost against Battlestar Galactica, the new Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah, the reimagined Battlestar the Galactica. Re-imagined. So the idea here came uh, about because both of these shows aired during the same era. They both started in the early 2000s, concluded in the late 2000s. 
They were both um, uh, shows that were critically acclaimed, had fantastic ratings, and they were both shows that were kind of about this mystery box. In uh, J.J. Abrams talks about how there's so much information out there, and the real compelling things about stories are not the answers that they, um, not the answers to the questions, but the questions themselves. And both of these shows created these questions right from the get-go. So today. Um, we're not going to be we're not going to be spoilering Battlestar Galactica, but we do want to talk about it and figure out which series, Lost versus Battlestar Galactica, is the better mystery box. Okay, and by mystery box, I guess we should give a little bit of background for those who don't know about. Yeah, so we'll put a link in the show notes for J.J. Abrams' article and his wonderful TED talk about mystery box. But we're really talking about shows that create these questions. Shows that create these mythologies, shows that make you think. Right. So, opening salvos on this crossover chamber. What do you guys mm. think? Um, well, for me, I mean, I'm going to pick Lost. Of course, he is. It's my, <laughs> my favorite TV show, and I love I, how he just comes out strong with that. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, I'm voting Lost. I mean, I was I liked the first half of Battlestar Galactica, but after New Caprica, I kind of stopped being a fan. I, I it went downhill for me from there. And why? Of, what was it? Well, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but I think one of the things is the kind of mysticism of it. Got they started going more and more into that, and they started going more into the Cylons take on religion and God. And to me, <clears throat> um, those aspects of Battlestar Galactica felt very jarring to me. Hmm. Because whereas I mean, whereas in Lost, where we were talking about before, how it's very seamlessly put together these uh, different aspects of science fiction fantasy and spirituality and mysticism it's kind of uh it fit it, it fits the tone of the show even when they're going to look for water something as crucial like survival is looking for water they find these mummified bodies in this cave and they're like who are these people where did this come from it kind of brings like mysteries and like adam and eve connotations it kind of is like rife even like mundane things and lost were kind of what is the spiritual significance of this what's the supernatural significance of this Whereas Battlestar Galactica, the thing that really appealed to me about the show that I loved about it was it kind of had this gritty, like, hard sci-fi feel to it. It was about, you know, they had the, the tech. There wasn't, like, supernatural magical stuff. It was, like, the tech. It was the strategy. It was the kind of the politics um, of trying to govern this nation that's falling apart and these people that are... It was West Wing in space. Right, exactly. Well, and, and there's also the mystery of trying to figure out which who are the Cylons and that kind well, of know, thing. They knew who the Cylons are. I mean, they, well, they, they created did. the Cylons. They did, ago. but... It, we didn't know who the humanoid Cylons were. We did were. not know who the humanoid people and, were. And we won't spoil it for those no. of you who haven't seen but it. But even to me, that felt more like an empirical mystery. It wasn't, As opposed to a... It was yeah. like a spiritual. It wasn't uh, an exploration. Those are fate. mysteries that could be answered as a question. I admit, I got upset, though, when Apollo started showing up in the fat suit because I thought that that was super freaking you weird. You and Bill, always with the fat suit. Just give I him a few episodes. He liked, loses the I weight. liked that story. Like, I love New Caprica. I love... That's no, when I, I, I didn't it, I dislike it. I just thought it was like an odd line. thing to put in there. <laughs> like, why? Well, it, I think it, it made sense given the character and where he was. Yeah, and what um, was happening. And it was like a year. It was like know, a year. But I gotta disagree with you, Derek. Um, I'm coming out in strong support of Battlestar Galactica. 
Um, here's one place where I'm going to disagree with you. I think the spirituality was there from the pilot. Um, we see the uh, the humans um, who believe in multiple gods, and we see the Cylons, and they make a reference to the one and true God. So the idea of religion and faith is there from the get-go in Battlestar Galactica. It's there more so, I will agree, with the Cylons, less so with the... Well, it is there a little bit with the humans, but it's... I think the spirituality is there. It didn't feel jarring to me. I think both these shows, you know, Lost is about what is this island, but also the greater spirituality of it. Um, whereas Battlestar Galactica is will they reach Earth, but then also these ideas about survival and what it means to coexist. And it's also the greater social commentary of the 2000s uh, with the Iraq War, with suicide bombing, with... Um, how do you fight a battle where you don't know who your enemy is, where it's not about sovereign states battling each other out? Well, but I also think that Battlestar had the benefit, first of all, of having a basis for their story because this is not, it wasn't a new show. I mean, it was based on a show that was made in the 70s. So they had a lot to build there and they had a lot to sort of figure out they basically had a blueprint for what they wanted to do. And yes, it was a reimagining, but they also had a lot to work from. Um, and I do Kind of like Fantasy Island and Survivor. Mm, and Lost, Lost may have been borrowing from some of those and referencing some of those. The from there, but yeah. But I feel like but Battlestar was taking a lot more. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Blade so Runner. Blade Runner and also... And, yeah. and the other thing is, is that it just the difference in how the, both the... When I said that Lost was the first of its kind on major network television, I guess I shouldn't say it was the first, but at that point in time, um, I mean... Battlestar was airing on sci-fi and it first aired as a miniseries. And then it, yeah. the format in how they were delivering these were very different as well. And I feel like... They didn't have to have as long seasons. They had the right. flexibility of airing when they wanted to. Our first season was only 12 episodes. And the programming on sci-fi wasn't as cluttered, basically. So, And this yeah. was their premiere show. And this is back when it was sci-fi, not Sifi. Sifi. <laughs> um. But in any case, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why Lost suddenly got a little lost. <laughs> but Boom. I... I don't think they were... I mean, maybe in the third season, but after that, they knew where they were going. And I also felt similarly with Battlestar, um, although oh, they more, definitely got lost. <laughs> more, and this is well, actually, they are lost. They're trying to find Earth. Yeah, well, they they are. the writers were lost. I think I, the writers I, yeah. were not lost. Oh, Why? Why? Yes. Why? The writers got a little muddy there. The whole, um, I feel like they messed with prophecy when they didn't have an idea of what the prophecy was going to right. be. And suddenly they suddenly they met. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, Look, there I'll, are very few dud episodes of Battlestar Galactica. Black Market is horrible. The Labor episode, that's not good, that good either. I, I but I... And, oh, you like Black Market? That episode no, not Black Market. The Labor one. Oh, the Labor one? It's yeah. a little over the top. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I still... I, but, yeah. But to but address he, your argument though you say that the spirituality was there from the beginning yes. you're talking about the difference in the cylon and the human concept of gods in theology that's not that's not what i mean mm. i i like that i think the differences in religious points of view is very interesting and led this whole idea of uh people uh, people being otherized um mm -hmm. wink wink nudge nudge oh, <laughs> um, i by, see what you did religion there is one of the I things like that, that uh, is used as an excuse for that and that's interesting how theology and religion affects society, how it incorporates into it, affects like warfare and how we view a, the society that we're at in conflict with. But 
and I like that. It was the when they went the route of like the visions and like it's real, like this this mystic this, this mystical stuff is like real. There's like a yeah. real component to it. You know what's so which fascinating? Which fit well into Lost, but not so much in the battle. This is Star. what's so fascinating to me about what you're saying, Derek. You're basically telling me that when the show started to explore and answer the questions of the Cylon mysteries, you that's when like that's much. when you didn't like it as much. And here you're telling me that Lost, you, you, Lost is your favorite show, and it is a show that doesn't necessarily answer its mysteries. What I think this debate comes down to is whether you want those the big mysteries of the show answered or not. In Battlestar Galactica, with the exception of uh, well, one character's trajectory, most of the questions are answered. Well, right, and and in some ways I liked that. I did feel like I honestly have to say I felt like Battlestar was a little bit of one of those neat bow shows, um, in the sense that I don't think it really left much to the imagination. So, and and while I was annoyed in some ways, again, not as outraged as other people about the the Lost finale and not tying tying up loose ends or all loose ends, I felt like Lost retained a little bit more of that mystery and magic because I, I kind of feel like when you take a storyline and totally like run it into the ground that's not as exciting um but I also will say I think Lost could have could have tied up a few more loose ends <laughs> to make people a little bit happier well I think they tie up a lot it's just people were dissatisfied with how they tied uh, them up maybe maybe so the, qu- the you know qu- they should have just had a, an island ruled by polar bears it, it, like the, <laughs> the polar bears were our our bear overlords and that's it <laughs> they call it Svalbard that would be yeah. awesome I want to yeah. see that show yeah that would well, be a great show the, but qu- in any case, the question look, is not what's the better sci-fi show no it's what's the better what's magic the better box? mystery box mystery box and I would say I think Lost has to win it because oh it, you guys are killing me here but but Battlestar wraps everything up yes. it's a mystery it's not a mystery anymore so so but I mean well let me come to the defense of Battlestar we're, you said all the mysteries are solved but that's not necessarily true if we're talking about is there a god? Are there no. multiple gods? Like those those aren't really mysteries. They're no, kind of I mean, like I mean the mystery. I, I mean with. the mysteries during the course of the show, the general ones that the audience is interested. When in. When I watch out. a mystery box, whether it's a film, a TV show, or a book that I'm reading, um, I want to feel like at least the the person who created the story or the people that created it knew the beginning, middle, and end of the story. I don't want all the questions to be answered, but I want there to feel. I want it to feel like this person actually knew what they're doing. With Lost, and you get I, that from Battlestar Galactica. I totally get that from Battlestar Galactica. I'm the opposite with you. I think this. it's like season for season. It really felt like they knew what they were doing. They had it all laid out in their in their series bible. Um, I think with Lost, um, I got that feeling less so, especially in the middle. I felt like they did not know what they were doing. They were introducing characters, bringing them away, introducing elements, taking them away. I didn't feel like there was much extra stuff introduced in Battlestar Galactica that didn't really play out. Well, I think in Lost, they had a... I mean, they kind of threw a bunch of stuff in at the beginning, but then they eventually came up with a plan. And the plan did change throughout the show to do various things, like... You know, while went through puberty, um, <laughs> uh, they one of the issues with three was that they they knew how long they had to do to wrap up the show, but they didn't know what their end date was going to be, so they had to wait for the network to give it to them. But for Battlestar Galactica, it seems like they made they address all these prophecy things, and then I I don't want to spoil it because I know we're not supposed to spoil it, but there is one specific prophecy that I'm thinking of that. Its fulfillment had nothing to do with anything, and it was like they just threw it in there just to fulfill that prophecy. 
And to me, I think a lot of the spiritual... I can describe a lot of episodes of Lost like that. that. We'll have to agree to disagree. Derek, you're voting. (laughs) You vote. Not only do I vote for Lost, I feel like Battlestar Galactica would have been a better show if it hadn't even been a contender in this uh, contest. (laughs) What does that even (laughs) mean? What does that mean, Derek? It means means because I feel like... (laughs) Wow. The... um, The mystical stuff really detracted from the show because I love the gritty, uh, okay. hardcore, right. like sci-fi show that I initially fell in love with. And so Conrad I ruined it. But. Conrad, you're voting. Well, I'm voting Lost because I do think it's a better mystery box. Um, in terms of which show I enjoyed more, I would go with Battlestar. Sorry, Derek. So, um, but but mystery box nullifying both of us equally. <laughs> but mystery box question would be lost. Well, and I I, I go with um, Battlestar Galactic. I think it's it's the better resolved mystery box. So, but the, the point is, is that the mystery box isn't resolved. Oh, I thought we. Yeah, I thought the point. That was what we were. No, but I, that's how I define it in my head. See, so this oh, means so you're saying how. The Does mystery it, box is resolved. But isn't J.J. Abrams' whole point that you don't want the mystery box resolved? Yes. But J.J. Abrams is... Can suck it? Is that what you were about to say? <laughs> can go make Star Wars really? movies. <laughs> That's what he could do. All right. So with that, let's close up the chambers of our infinite crossover chamber. <laughs> wow. That was an interesting little battle there. Yeah, it, was a good, it was a good debate. All right. It was a well, good debate. Uh, um, we're going to round out this show with uh, our top five, which is top five characters from Lost, each of ours, but we're going to do it in, in rapid fire succession. Um, so, number five, Ali. My number five uh, is two people. It's a couple, Rose and Bernard Nadler. Um, I love these characters. They're a great couple. They they appear... I like one half of that couple. Ooh. Oh. Anyway, continue. One half? Okay. Um, <laughs> what are you against Rose? No, I'm just kidding. Hey! <laughs> I, love, I love that she was waiting for her husband. No one believed that he was on the island. He did make it on the other half of that plane. And you see them um, throughout the whole series progress. They're a cool couple. Cool. Uh, Derek, who's your number five? Uh, my number five is Mr. Echo. Oh, yes. Yeah. Honorable mention for me. Yeah. And I kind of want to tie him in with one of my first honorable mention. I know we're not supposed to go right now, but I think they relate to each other. It's just uh, Daniel Faraday. Oh, I think because, so good. Um, they're interesting characters, and we get the man of faith, man of reason with Jack and Locke, but these two characters are kind of like the purveyors or the authorities in these areas. Like, Echo is a priest. Um, even though he, he started as a criminal... He's really a priest at his heart. We all know this. But <laughs> um, and Faraday was a scientist, and so they both came at this from different points of view. Faraday was enamored with the science of it, Echo with the religion. But yeah, and also Echo's just like incredibly badass. Too he, bad he didn't stay yeah. in the show. For <laughs> well, two. that was actually the actor. Yeah, he wanted off wanted Hawaii. He couldn't be, do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. too bad. But he's a great character. Yeah. Conrad number five. Uh, my number five is Ethan Rom. Really. And he's not my favorite character in my list because I liked him. He was he provided one of the creepiest moments I have ever seen on the show, which is when they discover that he is not on the list of passengers yes. on the manifest. Oh, that yes. was super creepy. And it stuck with me for so long. Yeah. It was so creepy when you realize that he's an other or, and that he and he's the first person that you think that is one not one of these people from this plane wreck and 
he always looks super alien and creepy. So I like he freaked me out. He's on there. Cousin, really? Yeah. Well, (laughs) again, he's Tom Cruise's cousin. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Um, I feel so lost. Yeah. So in any case. (laughs) We gotta stop this. This is bad. <laughs> he's not. No. So he's not a favorite because I I like him. He's a favorite because he provide. He was a good villain. Yeah, it's good. Good show. pick. Good pick. Um, and number four um, is an obvious pick. John Locke. Um, and I'm going John Locke here. Um, up to that individual's death, not the point at which John Locke becomes. Men Locke. And, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, I think John Locke or Lonk really speaks to these ideas of spirituality. Um, I love, um, I love how that plays out and how he's a counterpoint to Jack on the show, but his backstory is so interesting. Um, the episode walkabout where oh. the major reveal, he is actually my number four. So I will share that oh, now. So we can, yeah, no, nice. um, he... he's my number one, but ah! oh, <laughs> man, we all, there's a lot of love I, for Locke. Yeah. Um, but uh, I will tell you like in terms of my listing of characters, it was very hard to rank, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah. We, and there's so many characters. It, we there's love. so many characters but, I, I could have tied, but in case, I want to turn it over to Derek because it's his number one, but the, the reveal and walkabout when you find out that this, this character who's been so looking forward and it means so much for him to go on this walkabout is being told no. And you're saying, why is he being told no? And there's a reveal that he's in a wheelchair. wheelchair. And that was a huge reveal. Oh, a yeah. huge um, reveal. And because you've also been watching him walk around on this island. And yeah. then you're like, what, what is, yeah. happening? is happening? Derek, why is he your number one? Um, because, I mean, I think he's, he's, the, he's the heart. Him and Jack are the heart of the show. And to me, he's more interesting than Jack. Uh, and he's, I think, a character that goes back and forth between extremely... We see him at his, his lowest. He's extremely pathetic at times. And he's also extremely awesome at other times. And I don't, I don't know if there's any other... I mean, maybe Charlie could argue, but I still feel like uh, he's the character we see at the most extreme. And we really see through the, through the years how he developed and how he became this person, how he, this came about. And the thing that I another thing that I really like about him, he's not just like the guy of faith, because that could be a really simple thing to label him as, but he also kind of has this bit to his personality that's kind of around before he gets um, before he gets crippled, before he gets um, disabled, before he has that whole thing with his father, and it's he kind of has this like toyish game. The stuff with his thing. dad is heartbreaking. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, when you find that out, it's it's just uh, oh yeah, it hits you hard. And um, yeah, he's, I feel like he's, he's a character that ha- he's been through a lot. He's had a lot of terrible things done to him. Oftentimes, they're because he's like searching and he's kind of naive in some ways. Uh, but we see him on the island, and on the island, he has his faith. He has like his strength. He's like a crazy woodland or jungle uh, outdoorsman. But he also has this aspect of his personality where he's kind of he likes games, mm-hmm. and he kind of has like a. A child's uh, trickster. Kind oh, he gets of along with Walt. He's one yeah. of the first ones that kind of yeah. And they well, play the backgammon game, which yeah. is right in the beginning of the series, and it's very integral later. Well, in, in his first backstory, uh, you find out <laughs> this is he's playing mousetrap. So yeah, and then the yeah. great reveal where he's in his office and the his boss walks by oh, yeah, and goes, yeah. "I need those TPS reports." Yeah. Someone's obviously an Office Space fan. Um, <laughs> cool. So we got a lot of love for Locke. So that was my number four. It was your number four. Um, Mr. Bishop, what is your number four? Um, <clears throat> I was rating my character or my, my top five characters based on 
kind of jointly how interesting I were, I thought they were as characters, but also how much I liked them. But my number four character, if I was just going by the latter criteria, he, he would have been my number one because he's my favorite character just of how much I like him. It's Hurley. Oh, well, Hurley uh, is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, th- I think he's like the heart and soul of the show. He's the one that he always knows what's right. And even when he doesn't do it, I think he's the character that shows the most, he's the most affected when not doing the right, the moral thing to do, he does not do. He's the character that's the most affected. Other characters like kind of find ways to repress it or burn it down. And so to me, it makes complete sense. And when, when at the end, when Jack is like, it has, it has to be you, Hurley. I mean, he's probably speaking because Hurley's the last of the candidates on the island. But <laughs> it's also, it made complete sense that it, it had to be Hurley all the time. He was the one. Wait, so he's either number four or number three? He's his four. He's number four. four. So and, he's and, my number three, just so you know that. Oh, so, okay. This is about to get as confusing as the show Lost. I know, because it's your... <laughs> yeah, I know. Is he on your list? He's not on... No. Okay, okay. No, he's a, he's honorable mention for me. Um, no, I think I think you're right. Um, the other things I really like about Hurley is that when you see his backstory, he's been through an awful lot. Um, he has suffered from mental illness. You see him suffer from that um, and the things that he has had to get through. Um and, you know, just in terms of the relationships that he builds with people and the loss that he deals with on the show, he is he is still ultimately a very good person. Um, I don't know that I ever found myself not liking Hurley. Like, uh, he was a very sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also provides some fun in the show. And, you know, he's one of the few characters that's like, hey, guys, we also need to, to play. And so he's one of the first characters that starts up the golf course and things yeah. like that. Yeah, um, his power and his passion what? is making people feel feel good. Right. So happy. I really I liked that aspect of him. I also really appreciated the fact that he did add some caring and some levity to a show that was extraordinarily heavy as well. Um, and yeah. you know his interactions with characters like him and Sawyer interaction interacting oh, yeah. th- they were always hilarious and like you know it's I liked him and Miles too. Oh, him and Miles yeah. were great. Oh, it's so, so cool. J.J. Abrams saw him in another show. I, I think Six Feet Under or something like that, and said, um, "You need to put this guy in Lost. You need to put this actor in Lost." And one of my favorite moments of um, my one of my favorite Hurley moments is you know that episode where they they discover all this Dharma Initiative uh, food. Somewhere. Oh my gosh! And he's and they put him in charge of it. And well, and he brings it out and he passes it out to everyone. The way that plays out is it's silent and there's this beautiful Michael Michael Giacchino music playing and just the like the spirit and look on his face. It's it's just so Hurley. He so cares about everyone else. Um, yeah, he's a great character. Yeah. So that was your number my three. three. All right. So my number three is uh, <laughs> Benjamin Linus. He is my number two. He's my number two as well. <laughs> all right, all right. We got a mind meld between Derek wow, and Connor. Wow, he is such a weird, complicated oh my character, but he is so amazingly well played and well acted. Um, he really is. But go go ahead, Ali. I'll let you. Uh, take um, it away. I mean, it's it's all of these. It's he's he's on this list for all the reasons you would think he's on his list. For so long, he's this mysterious figure. And when we first meet him, we don't know if he's an other oh, yeah. or not. That whole th- and that, whole thing was great. Oh, that thread. The back and forth. The back and yeah. forth. Yeah. And he's he's playing psychological warfare on them. And it's that terror that you were describing, Conrad, earlier when you discover this other person's an other. It was the same thing with uh, with Linus. And 
and he, you know, as as his character develops, you know there's a lot he knows, and there's that mystery to that. But then you get to this place where, you know, other people know more than he does, and his sort of response to that, and his trying to understand what's going on with Jacob and men in the man in black, and and all of that. Well, he's also the most. I mean, in terms of manipulation. Yeah, he is. He has no scruples. No qualms. At but he's all. also he a killed genius. his dad. He's a genius at it too. Yeah, he killed his dad along with partnering up with Man. with the natives and and taking over the Dharma Initiative. He's he's one of the best villains, I think, because he he's capable of acts like that where you're like, wow, he is pure evil. Or when he tells that moment, where he's like, he tells Juliet, he's like, you're mine. Mm-hmm. Um, just. <laughs> But he's very—he's very physically unassuming. He's very mild mannered, and it's like well, and, yet and so he's when still and, terrifying. and then when he physically like does acts of evil, evil, yeah, you're you taken, you're taken off yeah, guard, you and and you're just like, oh my gosh, did that really just happen? Yeah, and that's when you're glad you're watching it on Netflix, and you can like go back a couple frames because you're like, did I really just see that happen? Because he's this weird mousy little actor guy, and yeah. then suddenly he's just like. You're terrified of being alone in a room with him. Well, and I'm not surprised he's one of the actors that uh, we keep seeing. He's he's in persons of person of interest. Did and- you, do you know the story that originally they were gonna? He was just gonna be. He was gonna die in the second season. Huh. They were gonna find out he was the another, and he was gonna die somehow. But they liked that. I can't remember his name. But they liked the actor so much that was playing him. So they decide we're going to keep him around. We're going to make him like the leader of the other nice. which was such a great moment <laughs> at the end of the season when you see like Jack's Jack and Kate and sort of his face. And it's like not only was he an other, he's their the leader, leader. <laughs> and he's been messing with them. Like he's been totally messing with them, like yeah. trying to figure out their weaknesses the whole time. It's well, like well, and taking this all the way to the end, um, where his character ends up is after Hurley becomes in charge of the island. Hurley turns and asks him, like, can you help me? And the look on his face... Like, he's like, you need help. Do you need help? Yeah. So he kind of becomes like the new Richard Albert, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is such a cool arc for that character, yeah. for him to go on that journey and have some level of redemption by the end, which is so true to the spirit of the show. Yeah. Yeah, you can take a character like that, you're like, this guy's completely evil, and then through, like, I mean, his story in the last season, you kind of turn him around, and you're like, well, I can... I feel bad, but I kind of have sympathy for him, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's the beauty of the show. Yeah. So that was uh, your guys' number two and my number three. So we're on to my number two? Yes. Which... uh, What was your three? Oh, what was your three? Yeah. My three was Juliet. Oh, cool. um, Because I felt like she was... um, I think I liked her the best of all the female characters. Yeah, you know what's interesting about the show? As we were making this list, I realized I really didn't like... It's not that I disliked the female characters, but I didn't find a lot of the female characters as compelling as I obviously found the male characters. I agree. I, I was going to save this for the and, end. And this, is, and this is... So my list is largely male. My number one has sort of a, a little bit of a cheat because it's more of a... It's a character in the storyline, but... um. You don't, you're not going to say the island, are you? No. Okay. Um, are you? Are you? No, no. I'm not uh, getting no, that no, with no, you. No. Um, and I'm not going to say polar bears either, even though I really want to. Smoke monster? Is it the smoke monster? No, Smoking. no, no. no. Yeah, yeah. But I was realizing as I was, and I was like, uh, like I just don't feel as strongly. And that is a really interesting thing. With a cast that has so many women, do you think they would be able to like make somebody a little bit 
kind of like likable. Well, I don't know. I think she's the one. I think she, she is. She I mean, is. You're right. Out of the likable and not likable, but compelling yeah, and interesting. And, yeah. and I just feel like complicated. I feel yeah. like a lot of the characters, even though they had complications, there was they were just not. They were. I don't want to say boring, but I didn't find them as compelling as the male characters. And I think uh, a lot of the female characters kind of fall in tra- traditional like adventure type tropes for women. Like yeah. Kate's the tomboy, and which kind of disempowers her in the end because while she wants to run off and follow the boys when they go on their adventure, she usually like gets them in trouble because she's not as accomplished or as good yeah. at some things. Like she can track, but she's not as good as Locke, even though her ranger father taught her when she was like twelve. But somehow, <laughs> yeah. But why isn't Locke's she better. as good? Well, and you know she's what I mean? so like, defined. It's ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> she's defined as she relates to Sawyer or as yeah. she relates and, to Jack. Yeah, a lot of the she's women never are. Defi- all of them are that way. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody Son. does her, and you're right. Juliet's well, probably the only one that's she, really because it's, it's her sister. The, mm-hmm. When we first get to know, I mean, at first she's an enemy, and but she's still kind of interesting when she's an enemy. She's still an other. But when we get her backstory with her sister, it's like she's the first woman that her motivation for getting off the island and for why she's there is her this like strong relationship she has with another woman. Like a lot of the women are defined by their relationships with male characters. Um, I mean, Kate has the thing with her mother, but it's that's like an antagonistic relationship. And it's mostly about, I mean, Sun is mostly defined by her relationship with her father. With Jin, to and Jin. with Jin. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and Rose is mostly defined by Bernard. But, you know, it's in Juliet's the one where it's her relationship with another woman with her sister that is her motivating thing. And I like the, and she's intelligent. She is yeah. decisive. She makes a decision and she sticks to, well, except for the end where they, uh, those <laughs> yeah, finale, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Okay. I do. Which I hate that they do that because otherwise she's very decisive and she sticks to Wait, her Wait, I'm blanking on it. What do they do? At the finale of season five, she kind of goes back and forth, yeah. which doesn't make sense. And Because uh, first, you know, she wants to get off the island with Sawyer when Jack's trying to blow it up with the nuclear weapon. and then Which Kate, has a name, right? What's the bomb's name? Jughead. Jughead, yep. Um, and then Kate, they're on the subway ready to go and then Kate gets on is like let's oh let's go stop it yeah yeah so Juliet's like all right let's do it and they go (laughs) but then when they're on the island she changes her mind again and she's like no i don't like the way you look at and it's so out of character it's so out of character it's so out of character Mm -hmm. yeah i really think kate should have been the one that when sawyer's beating up jack kate's like stop don't do that we're not going to be able to stop him unless we kill him and then Sawyer decides to go with kate it's almost like she's choosing kate over Juliet, which would have been her motivation for destroying right the nuclear warhead when she's stuck down in the in the in the shafts um but anyway that's near here there now <laughs> but uh yeah she's for the most part she's assertive and she makes she moves the plot along whereas kate and son and some of these other female characters they kind of ride along yeah. see i but really she makes decisions like she shoots danny um when sawyer and uh kate are es- escaping and I don't know. She's like I said. She's a scientist. She's defined by her intelligence or her, her reason. You're you're right. I think that is the the best female character on the show. I really struggled to pick a female as well. And I this for a show that's so diverse, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, but I think Juliet is the right pick. Yep. Nicely done, Derek. Um, so we've got our number threes. Uh, you guys had Linus as your number two. My number two is oh, I love this character so much. Um, I alluded to this character in last week's episode when we talked mm-hmm. about seconds and our top five stories about regret. Uh, Richard Alpert or Ricardo Alpertus for those of you <laughs> who are purists. Um, boy, I really found this character interesting. Um, we see him. And we, we, it's very clear that this character has been here for a while. He knows a lot about the island. Is his name Ricardo Altaban? 
Oh, that would be so cool if his name was Ricardo <laughs> Altabot. <laughs> I do not Wait, wish to a, kill you, Captain Kirk. Sorry, or, Montalban. Yeah. Montalban. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he wanted to do because he was the Fantasy Island guy. Uh, you didn't you think know it's this? a little? You think it's a reference well, to maybe. Ricardo Montalban? Maybe, maybe it could be the name. Well, because the name they kind of or make, Al- Albertus Mag- Magnus the. Uh, occultists from the Middle Ages. Yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, continue. So, anyways, he's cool. Um, and it, it, you you begin to understand that this guy hasn't been aging. When you see him, when I forget if it's when the island starts traveling in time. I think it's that at that point when you see him in the past, and you're like, wait, why is he here? Yeah. Why does he look exactly like that? I thought that well, was you, you know before then, but that's when I think a lot of the characters realize it in story. Yeah, that's when the characters realize it, yeah. and uh, we begin to understand that he's immortal. And you're like, why is there one immortal guy on this show? This show's so confusing, <laughs> and I want to know more. Next episode, please. <laughs> um, and you know, I I was so so excited when we saw his backstory in the sixth season. Um, oh, that, it's one of my favorite episodes. Oh, it's yeah, it's yeah. not it, it's not only in the, one of the best episodes of season six. It's one of the best episodes of Lost because it's you don't need to watch any other episode of the show to be able to watch that episode and enjoy it and be moved by it. And we see him um, the regret he has over his his wife's death and how much he's torn about not being able to save her and everything he did and how he tried to save her. And then at the end, when you have Hurley saying, dude, your wife's right there. She's she's talking to me. like, And how Richard starts talking to her, it is so emotional and so moving. Boy, it impacts me every time I watch that episode. Love this character. I love his storyline. I love his arc. Love the actor. My number two pick. Cool. So who's your number one? Oh my gosh! Oh well, so we know we know yours is Locke. We know yours is Locke. I just went. I think we need to make Conrad reveal oh, okay. her wibbly wobbly pick. Um, my number one was Desmond. Yeah, he's definitely one of my hot Desmond Hughes. Desmond is my number one pick too. He is the best character now, on Lost. So, so this is an interesting thing about him: is he was only supposed to be on the show for like three episodes. That was it, and then he was so popular that. They or they liked him so much that they decided, okay, we'll bring him back. They brought him back. You think it's because of his accent, brother? That got a little annoying. The brother thing. The brother got oh, it. No, it didn't. At, at, at the finale, but Jack goes, oh, seen another oh, yeah, lifetime th- brother or whatever. They do it a lot. They yeah. just they do yeah. it when they're leaving the island. They <laughs> yeah, a lot. A lot. Last <laughs> they overdo the brother piece a bit. But I well, really, the I li- like the intro <laughs> of it. Like when you when you see him on the island, and that's like that great little soundtrack and. Yeah. You realize like that there's some like it's they introduce him and he has to like do the 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 thing with the button and all that stuff. Um, I think he's a really interesting character. I think he's pretty consistent throughout. Um, uh, there's the whole great introduction. Great like, introduction. There's there's the whole and you know what? Some of the love interests and love stories in this in this series get weary. Um, but I really did like him and Penny. Him um, and Penny are great. They're great, and then she's they, just constant. She is, she's con- and she is, and that that episode, the constant, was okay, fantastic. Okay. We need to talk about the constant here. Uh, you didn't like it? What? No, it's okay. my favorite episode of the series. Okay, well, it's, okay. It's also, a little often, uh, Colin Cruz's favorite episode oh. as well. Well, okay. Well, now, what I was is... going to say is that it was one of those episodes that I like. That when that episode was on, I was like, ah, oh, this is more what 
I wish all episodes were like this. Yeah. It had such an emotional impact. It was really just, it was a heavy but wonderful episode. It is a fantastic episode. It is, um, the writers have been very clear. This is their homage to the finale of Star Trek The Next Generation, All Good Things, when Captain Picard is traveling through time at various oh, really? points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh. it was a clear homage to it. And um, the constant, um, this episode has a lot of ep- um, emotional resonance for me. Um, so I love this episode. And the idea about Penny being his constant, yeah. um, that really played out in my life. When I was going through, when I was moving from D.C. to New York, it was a massive point of anxiety in my life. Huge anxiety. I was moving to a city where I didn't know, I felt like I didn't know anyone. I'd, it was a major change in, in what was going to happen for the next few years for me. And I was talking to my therapist. I mentioned this last week. I was talking to my therapist. And um, I was talking to my therapist at a similar time as I mentioned in the last episode about this anxiety. And he said, um, you're, you're a sci-fi fan. Do you, um, do you watch Lost? And I said, I love Lost. And he said, have you seen the episode The Constant when Desmond is traveling in time? And I go, yeah. And I had no idea where this is going. And he said, how does he, how does he get through that? And, he, and I say, he has to find the constant. Duh, Steve. That's why it's called the constant. And he goes, who's your constant? Who can be your constant in this time of change in your life? Man, changed everything for me. And it was this whole idea, well, I'm not going to be totally alone. My partner's going to be there. New Anne's going to be there. As long as I can connect with these people who are the constants in my life, I can get through this. That had a huge, huge impact on me and just helped me with the idea that I can get through this moment. And kind of taking it back to loss, Desmond is a constant for for everything. Everything, oh. yeah. Well, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's well, that. Speaking of that, Faraday. though, I love the Doc Brown thing they do where he goes to Faraday in the past and... yeah. It's got kind of like the a Back to the Future Doc Brown thing. Oh, it was really. a total. It was a total Back to the Future yeah. thing. It was. It was so much in that episode. There also wasn't much techno babble. That's my great criticism of a lot of sci-fi. Really? Oh yeah, there wasn't that much techno babble. They didn't explain that much about how he's traveling through time. It was uh, just yeah. kind of like, oh well, you got like electrical magnetic stuff. Your consciousness, blah blah blah. Here's this rat, Eloise, she's dead, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't really that complicated. It was the character story that made that so interesting. And he becomes a constant. He is he's sort of this constant in the Flash Sideways, in, in all these different storylines. He is, you could argue, one of the most important characters in the larger story. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right, definitely. So, yeah, I can't mind meld. Yeah, we had a few mind melds. It, it, a lot it, of, I think we all we were on the same page here. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you very much for both of you sitting down talking about loss. This has been a pretty awesome conversation. Yeah. Did you have any honorable mentions you wanted to throw in there? Echo Charlie. Well, yeah, I was gonna say Desmond and. Uh, um. Yeah, I think that's it. Everyone else. <laughs> yeah, everyone else. I was going to say polar bears, Charlie. <laughs> oh, polar bears. I was going to say. Wait, what about uh, the dog? What's the dog's name? 
Oh, Vincent. Vincent is. Vincent. Oh, yeah, but Vincent, Vincent's always getting into trouble. He's not as helpful as he should be. That's true, but he's there when Jack dies at the end. He's like there the when most, Jack dies. It's the most comforting thing, thing in the world. to have the dog oh, there. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's true. And plus, Absolutely. it's the cyclical yeah, yeah. thing, because he sees Vincent in yeah, 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 Such a good, fin- that final shot. Oh, it's such so a good throwback. Yeah. Such a good throwback to the yeah. pilot. Love it. All right, folks. Um, Derek, where can listeners find you this week? Um... As always, you can find me at my website, DerekBishop.com. On Twitter, I'm DerekBishop8. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Conrad? On Twitter, I'm at DiePrince. And you can also find me on my other podcast about undead things, reanimated with my good buddy, Stuart Tiffin. That's reanimatedpodcast.com or re- reanimatedpcast on Twitter. Does the final episode count as being about undead stuff? The final episode of Lost? No. no, they're all if dead. If you're really <laughs> cheating, they're not undead. They're not no, you undead. know what it does though is uh, the way that the man in black occupies dead bodies. Yeah, that's oh, that's undead. That qualifies. As undead. That's a little zombie-ish. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, as always, I am at Ali Matu on Twitter, and I am the science fiction psychologist at BrainKnowsBetter.com. We'll be back next week for another splendid episode of Nerd Hour. Um, let us know what you think about Lost. Um, you can reach us out, uh, or you can reach out to us on Twitter at NerdHour at info at simperfantasticnerdhour.com we'll love to get your emails there um, but don't send your snail mails to us we don't get snail mail anywhere um, you no. can also reach us on our website superfantasticnerdhour.com um, we'll be back again um, Derek thank you so much for joining us uh, for your you. third for appearance yeah this is a lot of fun that was a ton <laughs> of fun and I still love you, even though you voted down Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> even though my, me being right about which show is better makes you feel defensive. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess so say we all. All right, guys. Um, all, right. All, right. all right. Put it away. Put all it right. away. Put those lightsabers down. Um, until next time, live long and prosper. Indeed. Live together, die alone. <laughs> oh. oh. Nicely done.